The scripture tells us, if you want to turn to your Bibles uh, in whatever device you're using, uh, we do, do want to look at a scripture, two scriptures that are right adjacent to one another that speak about the subject of love, probably no other area uh, in scripture that speaks so clearly about love than 1 Corinthians 13. But what a lot of people forget is that the subject of love is actually introduced in the last verse of chapter 12. How many of you know that chapter divisions are not inspired by the Holy Spirit? You know that? <laughs> They're not. That's a man-made device. And, uh, and yet, so sometimes we just have to ignore chapter divisions to get the full meaning of something. So I want to just begin by reading in, in the 31st verse of chapter 12 and uh, remind you that the subject of chapter 12 has been on what? The proper orderly use of spiritual gifts in the church, right? Let's begin in verse 31. Paul says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet... I show you a more excellent way. Can you say a more excellent way? A more excellent way. And he goes on in chapter 13, and we know this so well, but listen carefully. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but... Do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and I give my, over my body to hardship that I may boast, but if I do not have love, I gain nothing. For love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but instead rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I love the wrap-up in verse 8. Love never fails. Can you say that last phrase with me? Love never fails. I want to share with you tonight five truths about love that we find in Scripture. Because these verses that we read here in chapter 12 and in chapter 13 describe for us the more excellent way of love. And clearly we see that the contrast is given to us trying to ensure that the Corinthians who who were totally caught up in the manifestation expression of gifts to the expense of walking in love. They were fighting They were arguing, there were divisions, schisms in the early church in Corinth, and yet they were very prominent in their gifts, although disorderly at times. And so Paul is saying to the church, hey, listen, regardless of how gifted you may be, regardless of how many wonderful spiritual gifts you may manifest, it means absolutely nothing if you're not walking and living in love. And then as it begins to describe this love, I think all of us, Anytime that I've read this, I immediately go, oh, wow, I thought I was walking in love. I thought I was operating love. But all of a sudden, when I realize that love is patient, love is kind, and love doesn't envy, and it always perseveres. And it, How many of you get under conviction the moment you start reading that? Do you know what I'm talking about? And so immediately the question comes to your mind, what kind of love is it talking about there? The 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love is not human-based love. It is what I simply call the God kind of love. 
It's agapeo love. It's the God kind of love, and it doesn't originate in humanity. It comes from God Himself. So let's look at these. This is a very simple, simple message tonight on love. I call it kind of a meat and potatoes message. But uh, I think it will also remind us of some of the important aspects that we probably know, but it's helpful to be reminded of. Number one, the first one is simply this. Love is not optional. Love is not optional. In John's Gospel, chapter 13, you want to turn to some of these verses, you're sure welcome to join me, otherwise I'll, I'll simply read them to you. In John chapter 13, Jesus minces no words when he offers for us what he calls a new commandment. You remember this one? In John chapter 13 and beginning in verse 34. You remember just really quickly what the context is of this verse? This is when Jesus is showing love in a very physical way by doing what? Washing the feet of his closest disciples. So on the heels of that, he says in verse 34, a new commandment I'm giving you Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. We'll go ahead and read the next verse since we're going to comment on it in a moment. All men will know that you are my disciples if you, what? Love one another. He said, I'm giving to you a new commandment that you would love one another. Notice here that love is in the form of a commandment. He simply says, I'm giving this is, he didn't say, I'm offering to you tonight a new option. Here's multiple choices. Take your pick. No, he simply says straight out, love is a new commandment. You are to do what with love? You are to love one another. Now, we all know, and tonight, by the way, these five uh, truths that I'm sharing with you about love are not focused on God's love towards us, and they're not focused even on our love back towards God, but I want to really get this down to our level of daily living because it has to do with our love for one another, our love for others. And uh, obviously we need the foundational truth that God loves us. We sang about that tonight, didn't we? That God loves us in such a remarkable way. He's shown His love for us. And we know that we need to love Him back. But love is a commandment that we would love one another. In Mark chapter 12, the well-known verses taken from the Old Testament but say this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he gives us the second commandment, greatest commandment, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no what? No commandment greater than these. Again, what? Love is not an option. Love is a commandment. So the truth of the matter is, if you and I fail to love, we are disobeying God's directive in our life. We're commanded to love one another. We don't have to pray about it. We don't don't have to pray whether or not it's God's will, at least. We're simply to walk in love with one another. The second truth that I want to remind you of is the fact that God's love is unconditional and the love that you and I are to share with one another is unconditional. Agapeo love The God kind of love, it's absolutely essential, we recognize this, is not human-based love. And the kind of love that God pours out on us, the kind of love that John 3.16 said, for God so loved the world, that kind of love is unconditional. 
He gave it before the world was loving Him. He loved you before you loved Him. Someone say amen to that. He loves us before we respond to Him in repentance. God loves us unconditionally. And we know that this is a principle, but maybe in no other place in Scripture is this uh, demonstrated and we see such a vivid image and picture of this than in a strange place in the prophet Hosea. Yeah, he's one of the minor ones. You don't hear about as much. Hosea was a prophet in, uh, in Israel. One of his contemporaries was Amos, and one of his contemporaries in Judah was, was Isaiah, a far greater known prophet than Hosea. But Hosea is maybe the most popular prophet to look at in the Old Testament, but there is a, an, an amazing, remarkable story that it gives. Hosea was a prophet that God not only put his word in his mouth, but he asked him to demonstrate something. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know. Some of those demonstrations we saw in the Old Testament by those prophets are not enviable. I, I don't envy them. Have to strip down naked, stand in the middle of town and prophesy. I mean, that's not a fun place to be, right? You know what I'm saying? Hosea had a pretty daunting task. God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute. Not only any prostitute, but a prostitute named Gomer. I don't know about you, but marrying a prostitute isn't good. Marrying a woman named Gomer, mm, that might be even equally challenging. You agree? Sorry, just my opinion. Yeah. God tells him to marry, go and marry Gomer. Gomer was a loose-living harlot. And not only had she been a harlot, you might say, well, you know, we all have pretty rough, dark past, but this lady continued her harlotry, continued her running around even after she married Hosea, a man of God. And yet God told Hosea, just keep loving her. Keep taking her back. Keep showing my love towards her. Keep forgiving and reconciling with her over and over and over again. Now, today, this isn't a very popular story. Because today, people would opt for other avenues, wouldn't they? Mm -hmm. We would immediately say, oh, we have a biblical ba basis for a divorce here. We would jump to that pretty quickly. But in Hosea's case, God was wanting to demonstrate something about his love. The whole purpose of the message of Hosea and his marriage with Gomer was to physically, vividly draw imagery for the people of God to say, that is the way God loves us. Even when we run away from Him, even when we sin in His face, even when we reject His love, He still loves us. His love is unconditional. I don't know about you, but this may be one of the hardest things to get down deep inside of us about God. That He loves us unconditionally. Why? We just can't fathom it. It's not human. It doesn't, it doesn't jive with our human understanding, does it? But it's still true, isn't it? That God loves us unconditionally. And Hosea's love towards Gomer is a picture of that. I want to remind you tonight that God's love is unconditional towards us, but, listen, you and I are to show that same kind of love towards others. Oh, boy. Now, this is the hard part. That means to our wife, to our husband, to our neighbors, even... The Bible says, to our enemies. We are to show God's unconditional love. That means 
doesn't mean we approve of everything, but it means we love in spite of it. Unconditional love is a hard thing. May, may I just remind you here, this is a good point to remind us, that it is God that can on, only God that can love that way to us. I'm so thankful that Romans teaches us that when we come to Christ, that God has shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. The love of God, that agape love, is on the inside of us by the Spirit of God that lives and indwells us. That love is there as one of the, as one of the uh, genetic code qualities of God's love that we're born again with. He can love through us. We can love those that persecute us. We can love those who speak against us. Against us. We can love those who borrow something and don't return it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We are to love them unconditionally. Who is there in your life? Maybe that you've been struggling loving the way God wants you to love. Not only is love a commandment and love is unconditional, but number three, love validates our faith. Love validates our faith. We already read the verse right there after Jesus said to his disciples, now listen, I'm giving to you all tonight a new commandment, that is that you love one another. And then he goes on to say, when you do this, when you really show others towards one another, that God kind of love, that's going to prove something, isn't it? It's going to show people, it's going to demonstrate to people that you're believers, that you belong to me. Wearing the name of Christianity, wearing a cross around your neck, is not sufficient evidence to validate, validate your relationship with Christ. What the Scripture tells us is it's going to take love. And I think all of us would acknowledge that there's much of this culture that we live in that, that has all kinds of strange ideas about believers and about Christians and about the church. But it is many times our fault because we have not walked and operated in the love of God. Instead, we fight with one another. We argue from church to church over the same members. We, we, we cast aspersions against certain groups and denominations and we are typically divided more than we're unified. It's not a very good example of the love of God that should unify us, amen? And that's the image that too many people get. That's the image that gets ridiculed by the secular media. That's the image of people who don't demonstrate the love of God, but there's something about the love of God. If people could see it, they would be won over by it. I have a young couple that had become members of a church I was pastoring back in um, 1995, 1996. And um, Doug and his wife were young, loved God with all their hearts, recently graduated from Bible college, had moved here to start uh, work in graduate school at Regent University and full of life. She was so excited because um, she was recently uh, became pregnant with their first child. They were probably in their mid-twenties. And uh, unfortunately, still young, she was at an event and ate some food at a banquet. Immediately had aphylactic shock, was pronounced dead on the way to the hospital with unborn child. I'll never, ever forget the amount of love that was being poured out upon Doug. And... Uh, we held the funeral. It's probably one of the more difficult funerals that I've ever done. 
And uh, people came in from all over the U.S. because uh, her parents were involved in a large network of churches based in New York. And um, there were people, neighbors of them, theirs, who um, were observing this whole thing that went on for a couple of weeks around their lives. And um, they even attended the funeral service for Renee and her unborn child. And uh, these unbelievers came a couple of weeks later to Doug and said, we, we, we have a question. We've, we've never, ever seen people act the way your friends have acted. We've been watching. And you have, people have come and loved you in the middle of this crisis and brought you meals and taken care of you and poured, and, and, and what we saw at the memorial service, we were, we were shocked, overwhelmed. There were hundreds of people there, many of them from out of town, flown in to show their love and support for Renee. They said, we want to know why. What is it? What distinguishes you? And he, in the midst of his grief, said, I have only one simple answer for you. And that's that these are people who are truly authentic Christians. But they are demonstrating God's love. Did you know that it was that demonstration of love that led to the salvation of several of his neighbors through that experience? Jesus said, they will know. They will know that you're my disciples. Why? Not because you go to church regularly. They're going to know that you're my disciples, not because you don't mow your lawn on Sunday. They're going to know you're my disciples because what? Because you love one another. That is the most prominent sign and litmus test for active, true Christianity that we have available today. His example and the scripture proves it. And I pray that you will allow God's love shown towards others to validate your own faith as well. The fourth truth I want to share with you tonight is very simple. The fact that love is a choice. There's something really remarkable about God's love and our ability to express it. And that is simply this, that it takes an act of your will. Love at its very root, at the very core of what love is, requires a decision. Now listen to me. It requires more than just a choice. Okay, Some people love to say love is a choice, and they make a choice, and then they act like the devil. But, uh, so it takes more than just a decision. But love is at the very heart of it, requires an act of the will. Have you ever had someone, a, a loved one, or maybe a husband or a wife or a child, do something and you're like, can't believe that and you want to do anything but love them you may want to retaliate you may want to attack them you may want to do all kinds of rude things to them but the bible says to love right so at some point you have to come to grips with the fact that love is a choice we live in a world in a society <clears throat> where love is viewed as an emotion where love is viewed as romance the problem is what a lot of people think is love isn't really love they're just in heat true we we have a totally 
uh, degraded view of love in our society. It's been all tilted and distorted by Hollywood and by, by all kinds of, of ungodly sources. But we need there are times that my precious wife has been married to me for 38 plus years now, and there have been many times that she has had to simply return to that choice that she made when we got married. Her choice then was based on a covenant that God was leading us together to be one flesh, and she made the decision to love me. Now, she has had to reinforce that decision many times through those 38-plus years, I guarantee you. She has had to repeat that decision. She has had to choose over and over and over again, even though her husband acts in unloving ways, even though he is unlovable at times. Uh, she's had to decide, I'm going to love him. It's amazing when we put ourselves in motion to love, that that allows that agapeo love that is on the inside of us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we make the choice, and it's like the love of God kicks into gear the moment that you make the choice to love someone. It's really a faith decision times, isn't it? But we have to remember, love is a choice. Today we've bought into the myth that love is uncontrollable. We've bought into the fact that it's something that just happens, comes over us. In fact, even the language we use implies this uncontrollability of love. We say things like, I fell in love. What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean, I fell in love? As if it's some kind of a ditch that we roll into. You know, it's like I'm walking along one day and boom, I fall in love. Couldn't help myself, I just fell. No, we know better. The truth is this, that's not love, that's lust. That's an eros kind of love. Love doesn't just happen to us, it is a choice, and it represents a commitment. And we must make a commitment to love, not just our husband and wife, not just our kids, not just our parents, but we need to love one another. We need to love fellow Christians with the God kind of love, and we need to love our neighbors, and we need to love the unlovely, we need to love the down and outers, we need to love those that make more money than we do. We need to love people with the love of God. It needs to be a choice. I pray you'll refresh that commitment tonight. And finally, number five, love is practical. I think we kid ourselves if we keep love on this theoretical level. We talk theoretically about love. We say, oh, yes, you know, we really need to love. And, you know, the Bible teaches love. And we know that God is love. Okay, all right, all that is true. But love is practical. May I read to you to demonstrate the practicality of love from Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 9 and it starts off very strong. Love must be sincere. Have you all ever seen insincere love expressed? You know what I'm talking about? Inauthentic love. Ooh. Not appealing at all, is it? Love must be sincere. Hate, <coughs> excuse me, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. <clears throat> Be devoted to one another in what? Brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Philippians chapter 2 tells us don't look on the, your own interest, but look out for the interest of others. 
the practicality of love is expressed in so many different ways. But just to remind you a few. Scripture tells us to love one another with brotherly affection there in the 10th verse that we read. Also in Peter's epistle, he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love honors one another. We read that in the 1 Corinthians 13 passage, that love never dishonors. You know that there's not a lot of honor around today. We really have lost the, the, the priority of honoring others and putting them above ourselves. Love honors one another. Love also does kind deeds. The practice of kind deeds is something that, for, sadly, that the evangelical church today has sadly lost focus on. And we've simply bought into a truth, which is it's the good news that matters. And it does. And one doesn't have to live without the other. But I believe good deeds plus the good news makes good sense. Good deeds plus good news makes good sense. And the scripture is replete with exhortation and examples of doing kind deeds. The whole story of the Good Samaritan, right? We don't have to go and revisit that tonight. You know the story well. Love. God kind of love demonstrates itself. When was the last time that you did something kind that you weren't asked to do or required to do or reminded to do, but you just did it as an act of the love of God? Taking someone a meal. Doesn't have to be when they're sick. Doesn't have to be when they're in crisis. Do something nice for someone for a change. Quite a number of years ago, back in the early 1990s, Steve Shogren, who was the pastor at the time planting a church, the Vineyard Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, God began to speak to him about doing a different kind of evangelism in their neighborhood. As they were establishing this new church, they adopted what they began to term, and I think actually, I'm not sure this term had been prominently used before Steve Shogren coined it, as the term servant evangelism. Servant evangelism to them simply meant going around in their community and doing kind deeds. Acts of kindness performed to people in different situations in their community, never looking for money, never really prominently promoting the church in some obvious way. They would wash people's cars and they got through washing and they said, well, how much is that? They said, it's nothing at all. And they would give them a little card and it simply said, an act of kindness. The name of the church on the back. They would go and repair people's homes and they would do a variety of acts of kindness. They would give out bottles of water at the, at the uh, 5K marathon. I said, what's this? Just, just want to show you that Jesus loves you. We're not asking for anything. He actually uh, wrote a book later about their experience and he called it, I love the title of this book, he called it The Conspiracy of Kindness. I love that. Did you know that there is a conspiracy? It's a movement going on in America today. It's underground, really. It's gaining great momentum. It's simply the fact of Christians getting a hold of the fact that we can show God's love to others. I, I, I'm going to pick on a member of our church tonight. Sister Ruth McPherson moved here from St. Louis uh, a couple of years ago and um, knew me just through her siblings 
And uh, I think she maybe had visited the church once or twice or something. But uh, at the time, we were launching our small group ministry, journey group. And uh, one of the admonishments we gave our group leaders is, you know, during your 10 weeks that you're meeting as a group, it'd be really good if you dedicate at least one of the times just to show kindness, do something that's an outreach of sorts to the community, whatever. And so there was a group meeting in Virginia Beach, and the group decided to show kindness to Ruth because she had just moved here. She had moved into a new house, and it needed some repair, and uh, she was going to be taking it on. Most she, She's quite the woman. She can handle it on her own, but she needed, she needed some help. Am I telling any lies here, Ruth? Just correct me. Just shout if I'm telling any lies, okay? She needed some help. And so the group said, Ruth, we'd just like to come and give just a half a day. Just bring the group over, and we just want to help you. I don't know everything they did, but I know that they spent three or four hours over at her house, and they uh, helped to clean up and, and, and make some repairs, and I don't know, did some yard work or something. It really doesn't matter what they did, but they did it with no expectation of anything from Ruth, but just to show Christian love. Ruth told me later, she said, Pastor, and she's been coming here ever since, by the way. She said, Pastor, I really didn't want to come to this church. I really never pictured myself coming to this church. And she said, uh, but I'll tell you what it is. She said, when those folks from that group came to my house and they were just working, serving me, she said, I saw the same thing. She said, I saw real Christianity, love in action. She said, that did it. Am I telling the truth, sister? I didn't tell any lies, did I? No. Now, the truth of the matter is that there's plenty of people that need to see that kind of love in action. Demonstrated Christian love is the most powerful thing. Why? Because it's practical. It's practical. And uh, we'll just, you know, there's plenty of other ways to show you the practical love. Love forgives. We talked about forgiveness uh, last week when we taught on the root of bitterness. Love prefers others. So many things we could say about the practicality of love, but I just want to leave you with that reminder that love is practical. Can we review these very quickly together? Five truths about love, and let's just review them together. Number one, love is not optional. It is a commandment. Number two, love is unconditional. Number three, love validates our faith. Number four, love is a choice. It's a decision. It's a commitment. And finally, love needs to get practical. Now, here's what I want to ask you to do here as we close the service. I'm going to ask that you would just reflect, okay? You can close your eyes. You can make a note on your, on your iPhone. You can uh, jot down a note if you want, or you can just make them mentally. Here's what I'd like you to reflect on. Over the next 30 days, I'd like to challenge you to get practical. Now, too often we hear messages that may inspire us or may give us holy goosebumps, but if we don't act on it, really fruitless, isn't it? We've wasted our time. So I want to ask you to reflect on this. What can and will you do over the next 30 days different 
to demonstrate Christian love? What could you do? What can you do? What will you do? Would you? I'm just going to give you about 30 seconds to reflect on that, and then I'm going to give you a chance just to, to share it with everyone, uh, a few of you, and we'll close the service. But I'm just going to give you about 30 seconds to reflect on that. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for an awesome time to fellowship over a meal and to just enjoy the community that you are building here. Lord, we thank you for reminding us tonight the commandment to love one another. And Lord, we do choose to be doers of the word, not just hearers tonight. And we'll walk this out in the ways that you put on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Say goodbye to a couple people before you leave church. See you next Saturday night.